This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this show a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include mature themes, including descriptions of nudity and sexual activity. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 323. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also share the latest on my journey as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 6 of Honor Bound by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 318 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Honor and her family have arrived at Hassan Manor for the debutante's ball, where she and her fellow young people will be welcomed into the peerage as adults. Lords, ladies, and androgyne nobles mill around in the manor's vast entry hall, waiting to be ushered into the presence of Duke Thomas. Honor left her father and went to speak with some girls her own age. Her attention was immediately drawn to a tall, elegant blonde girl, wearing a large gold crucifix, who seemed to be the leader of the group. Honor listened attentively to their conversation, but much of it was about city events that she didn't understand, referencing people she didn't know. When the blonde mentioned an upcoming horse race, a subject about which Honor knew quite a lot, she excitedly jumped into the conversation, geeking out about the various horses and jockeys as only a true enthusiast could. This left everyone else speechless, and an awkward silence descended on the group. Honor began to feel self-conscious. The blonde girl introduced herself as Lady Delphinia, the scion of House Moraine. A female scion was rare in Metamore, where male relatives were preferred by the rules of succession. Honor wondered what Delphinia would think about the new succession bill that Cousin Tyrrell had mentioned, which would allow women and androgynes to inherit equally with men. But when she tried to ask Delphinia what it was like being a house scion, a cold anger settled over the woman's features. Delphinia was a scion, she said, because all of her brothers and male cousins had been killed in the war. For the last two years, she has been forced to catch up with the training they had received for their entire lives. She could not summarize it in an hour, much less in a few words. Honor realized, too late, that she had raised a deeply private and personal matter— Delphinia's ascension was an immense and unasked-for responsibility, layered on top of unspeakable tragedy. Honor should have thought of that. Instead, she had brought up the woman's most painful experience in public, bare minutes after meeting her, and made herself look like a thoughtless country rube in the process. Delphinia and her coterie departed, 
leaving Honor alone, blinking back tears. Five minutes into my debut, she thought, and I have already made a complete fool of myself. She was distracted by the arrival of another debutante, a gorgeous androgyne, who introduced themselves as Noble Alex, the scion of House Townsend. Alex commiserated with Honor about the cold haughtiness of Delphinia, who looks down on anyone she considers less intelligent than herself, which is almost everyone. Alex escorted Honor around the room, introducing her to many of their friends and schoolmates. The androgyne had attended the Imperial War College, where they had been trained as an officer, but the Balefire spell had brought an early end to the war by wiping Telvar off the map. Instead of being deployed for an invasion, Alex had been sent to work at a hospital, taking care of the injured soldiers who returned home. The experience had affected them deeply, and left them with an urgent desire to help the Empire's veterans. "'War costs, Miss Bellevue,' Alex said. "'Those who go, even if they return unmaimed, they leave a part of themselves behind. And I believe they will need more than a hero's welcome to find it again.' Honor would have asked Alex more about this, but just then the fanfare sounded, and the doors to the Duke's audience chamber opened. Honor and Alex parted ways and returned to their parents, waiting to be summoned before the Sovereign of Metamore. Honor Bound The House of Bellevue Book One Written by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter Six Lady Honor Honor found her father near the front of the line, between the much larger contingents from House Barnhart and House Brightleaf. Both were great houses of the old kingdom of Metamore, and between them they had no less than a dozen debutantes in attendance. She was relieved to see that the houses were being lined up alphabetically, so Lady Delphinia and her friends were nowhere nearby. Lord Bellevue grinned at her as she approached. There you are, he said. Are you enjoying yourself? Making friends? I believe I am, Honor said. Excellent, Father said. Now, we're about to go see the Duke. When he addresses you, what do you call him? Your Grace, Honor said automatically. Good. The fanfare sounded again, and the great door swung outward, revealing a glimpse of the red carpet beyond. The Duke's herald announced, Lord Horace Alston and Lady Elizabeth Alston, with their son, Howard Hinalston. The other guests all applauded, as a gentleman and lady in their mid-forties stepped through the doors into the audience chamber. They were followed by a skinny, nervous-looking young man with the barest wisp of a mustache, who fiddled with his cravat like it was new to him. They disappeared out of Honor's view, and the line inched forward. Some minutes passed, and then the herald cried, The Right Honorable Benjamin Avery, Earl of West Glen, and Countess Ingrid Avery, with their sons, Jules and James Hin Avery. Honor got only the barest glimpse as a family of squirrel feriomorphs made their way into the Duke's chamber. The twins were dressed in white long coats that were split up the back, 
leaving room for fluffy brown tails that were as long as their entire bodies. She felt a nervous giggle rise in her chest, but she forced it down. The Right Honorable Thaddeus Barnhart, Earl of Dragon March, and Countrix Vanessa Barnhart, with their child, Lynn Hin Barnhart. A mixed family stepped through. The father was a theriomorph with the form of a badger, while the Countrix was a lovely androgyne with long, straight dark hair, a prominent bosom, and wide feminine hips. Their child was also an androgyne, and had chosen a similar womanly shape for the evening's events, though both of them wore the kilts, cravats, and long-sleeved shirts that were expected of the third sex. Several more families from House Barnhart followed, all of them junior in rank to Lord Dragonmarch, but still considered part of the peerage. Honor was getting close to the front of the line, and she leaned this way and that, trying to get a good look around the much taller people in front of her. Then the last set of Barnharts were walking down the carpet, and Honor and Lord Bellevue stood in the doorway, gazing out at what awaited them. Duke Thomas VIII sat on an ornate throne atop a six-foot-high dais, a chestnut-brown horse morph with a white blaze down the middle of his forehead. The banner of House Hassan hung from the rafters behind him, its rampant red stallion fierce and majestic. The flags of Old Metamor and the Imperial Union hung to either side. The kingdom the Dukes of Hassan had once ruled, and the empire to which it and its twenty-one allied nations now owed their allegiance. Both sides of the hall were hung with alternating red and white banners, and the red carpet stood out brilliantly against the polished marble floors. The nobles who had already entered stood in neat ranks on either side of the carpet, bearing witness to the debut of those who came after them. Beside her, the herald called out, Lord Harold Bellevue, with his daughter, Honor Hin Bellevue. Lord Bellevue strode down the aisle alone, with his head held high. If he felt at all self-conscious about his lack of a spouse, he did not show it. Honor followed a pace behind him, as protocol required. She felt sorry for her father, because surely this was reminding everyone of what had happened with Lady Sylvia and the humiliation he had suffered. She pushed those feelings down, plastered on a broad smile, and tried not to look too closely at the faces of anyone as she passed. At last they came to the foot of the dais. Lord Bellevue bowed deeply before his liege lord, then said, Your Grace, it is my great privilege to introduce to you my firstborn daughter, my pride and joy, Honor in Bellevue. Then Father stepped aside, and Honor was looking up into the long, sober face of Duke Thomas. He was a giant of a man, nearly seven feet tall, which probably owed to the destrier that was his template species. His shoulders were half again as wide as Father's, and his arms were muscled like one of those Sathmarin strongmen who competed in the Cabertos. He wore ceremonial armor underneath a crimson cape, and the red stallion of his house gleamed on the breastplate, surrounded by ornate gold filigree. His massive hooved feet looked like they could crush a man's skull without even trying. But when Honor looked at the man's eyes, she found them to be a soft brown, warm and gentle, like the eyes of her palfrey back home. His broad lips parted in what Honor took to be a smile, and she instantly felt more at ease. She spread the hem of her dress and gave the duke a perfect curtsy.
Your grace, she said, and smiled at him. Well met, Lady Honor, Duke Thomas said, and with those words, Lady Honor was what Honor became. Unlike a house scion, she did not carry the title in her own right, as an inheritance from Lord Bellevue. Instead, it was bestowed to her by the Duke, as a recognition of her passage into adulthood and her admission into the peerage. It was a subtle difference, but an important one. Before, she had only been Miss Bellevue. Now, by the Duke's grace, she was Lady Honor, and would be forever after. In the name of my ancestors, I bid you welcome to these halls, Duke Thomas continued. Take your place among your peers. Thank you, your grace, Honor said, and curtsied again. Then she followed Lord Bellevue to the sidelines, where they stood at attention as the herald announced the next guests. Cousin Tyrrell and Cousin Graham were already waiting for them. Since neither of them had children to present, they had joined the Duke's company while the debutantes and their parents waited in the queue. By tradition, Lord Bellevue took his place at the far left of their house's contingent, closest to the Duke. Graham, as the house scion, stood at the far right, so his would be the first face that the nobles saw as they entered. Tyrrell shifted over to stand at Lord Bellevue's right hand, and Honor took the spot between him and Graham. Tyrrell gave her a curt nod, his eyes glinting with something that might have been approval. Graham leaned in close to her. All grown up, he murmured. He paused, then added, Well, as much as you're going to, I suppose. He winked and grinned, obviously pleased with himself, as if Honor hadn't heard jokes of that sort for years already. But she covered her irritation with a smile, and after a moment he looked away. Another androgyne in feminine form was making their way down the aisle now, and Graham did nothing to disguise his leer. The line of guests was long, and Honor's feet grew tired as she stood waiting for each new family to be welcomed. There was nowhere to sit down. After a while she began fidgeting, shifting her weight from one foot to the other, bouncing lightly on the balls of her feet to try to force some circulation through them. She saw Lady Delphinia begin walking down the aisle, flawless and impossibly graceful, behind parents who were every bit as majestic as she was, and she realized, with a sinking feeling, that they were only halfway through the alphabet. How do people do this? She was taken aback by the sound of Cousin Tyrrell's voice in her ear. Legs straight and level with your hips, he murmured. Don't lock your knees. Lift your chest and square your shoulders. Engage the muscles in your belly. Honor was taken aback. Tyrrell was giving her advice? Then again, he was a military man. Of course he would know how to stand at attention. She did as he suggested, and while the position was not exactly comfortable, she did feel more balanced, more centered. She stopped fidgeting and stood as tall as her tiny frame permitted. Better, Tyrrell said. Tuck your chin in a bit, and relax your arms. Honor did so. By the time Delphinia passed her, she stood perfectly still, her head held high, looking as respectable as anyone else there. 
She thought Delphinia's eyes may have flitted briefly in her direction, but the woman's expression remained one of remote dignity. Honor told herself she had probably imagined it. Sometime later, the Herald announced, The Right Honorable Erelai Townsend, Viscountrix of Lorland, and Viscountrix Yasmin Toscano Townsend, with their child, Noble Alex, scion of House Townsend. Honor turned and saw the three Androgynes coming down the aisle, broad smiles on their faces. Alex's parents were still young, both under forty from the look of them, and like everyone touched by the Androgyne curse, they were fantastically attractive. Noble Arali was paler in complexion than their child, and wore a black shirt and kilt with a deep green corset. Noble Yasmin, whose wavy black hair and sandy brown complexion resembled Alex's, had elected for a bright yellow shirt, a burnt orange corset, and a leather kilt that had been tanned deep brown. Both of them had chosen very feminine body shapes, with wide hips and generous bosoms. Their hose showed off their long and very shapely legs, and they swayed in hypnotic unison as they walked. Noble Alex followed behind them, and smiled at Honor when their eyes met, but Honor's attention kept being drawn back to their parents. Gods, she thought wonderingly. They look so lovely, so powerful. Honor felt a new flush of warmth spread over her chest, up her neck and into her face. Another vision erupted in her mind, herself kneeling on a bed, completely naked, with the voluptuous Townsends holding her tightly between them. One pressed against her from behind, their breath hot against her ear, their hands roughly grabbing her breasts and pinching her nipples. The other knelt in front of her and kissed her hard, one hand gripping the hair at the back of her neck, while their other hand slid between her legs and... The vision passed as suddenly as it had come, leaving Honor disoriented and trembling. Her face felt as if it would catch fire. Her sex felt like it already had. With dismay, she noticed a sudden wetness in her drawers. Thank all the gods that no one could see it under her petticoats. But then, she noticed Alex looking at her, their brow furrowed in concern. Clearly they knew something was wrong. But the Duke was waiting for them, and after a moment they looked away, turning back toward the dais. Graham's voice came softly to her ear again. Magnificent, aren't they? He said, his eyes fixed on the backsides of the two countrixes. And so generous. They share everything. If you are ever invited to one of their parties, I highly recommend it. He glanced aside at her, and his lips parted in a predator's grin. Goodness, you do like the look of them, don't you? Well, you wouldn't be the first lady of our house to feel that way. Honor looked down at the floor, her cheeks burning. She wanted to crawl into a hole and vanish. Why is he doing this? How does he know? Behind them, someone cleared his throat. Graham quickly straightened, and Honor shot a furtive look over her shoulder. Tyrrell was glaring at his son, his blue eyes like two daggers of ice. He placed one hand gently on Honor's upper arm and nudged her over, 
toward the space beside Lord Bellevue that he had just vacated. Honor moved, and without taking his eyes off his son, Tyrrell deliberately stepped into the space between her and Graham. Honor could not see Graham's reaction to this, but she remembered that angry look he had shot at Tyrrell back in the carriage. She had a feeling that father and son would be exchanging words later this evening, and she hoped she was far away when it happened. Lord Bellevue looked down at her, giving her an apologetic smile and a slight shrug. Honor wondered how much he understood of what had just happened. Obviously, Graham had done something embarrassing and inappropriate, and Honor herself was clearly in a state. But he couldn't possibly have heard the details. He certainly wouldn't hear about them from Honor. She felt humiliated enough without repeating Graham's scandalous words to her own father. And what had he meant by that anyway? You wouldn't be the first lady of our house to feel that way. Was he talking about her mother? For all the infamy Lady Sylvia's name carried, Honor had never heard any details about her infidelity. It would have been outrageous to even raise the question. Was her lover an androchine? Or even another woman? The thought of two women entwined in the throes of passion sent another twinge of fire running through her. She pressed her legs tightly together at the knees, and the muscles in her pelvic floor clenched. Her sex ached with the need to be touched, and hot wetness soaked through her drawers and clung to her inner thighs. Gods, what is wrong with me? She'd never been so wet in her life. She'd never known it was possible to be so aroused. She felt unspeakably exposed, as if the whole court were watching her squirm and struggle— and somehow the humiliation only made her more excited. She was shaken suddenly from her thoughts by the sound of applause that erupted all around her. The last of the families had presented themselves before the Duke, and now the court was bidding them welcome. After perhaps a minute, Duke Thomas rose from his throne and descended the dais, accompanied by a fanfare of trumpets. A pair of large double doors swung wide on the far side of the audience chamber, revealing the grand ballroom beyond. Attendants moved down the line of assembled courtiers, dismissing each family in turn. They followed the Duke into the ballroom for the reception, taking their places at the tables assigned to them. Lord Bellevue put a comforting hand on her back. I hope you've got your appetite, he said. It's going to be quite a feast. Honor drew in a shaky breath, let it out again. That sounds lovely, she managed. But first, I think I must find a washroom. And that's the end of Chapter 6. Come back next time, when Honor looks for relief from her embarrassing little problem, and in the process, draws the attention of Natasha Volkova. Paula Vogel said, Art is the writer not having control, but the subject having control of the writer. So, let's see what's been controlling me this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of April 2nd through April 8th. 
I wrote 1,636 words this week, over the course of 2.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 727 words per hour. I wrote on three out of seven days this week. This was another rough week on the creative front. Last weekend kept me busy with yard work and cleaning up the house, which had gotten sort of out of control over the last couple of months. During the work week, I tried to set aside some time to write on my lunch breaks, but the break room was uncharacteristically noisy, which made it hard to focus, so I didn't accomplish much. I've been going to bed a little earlier and sleeping in a little later, trying to catch up on sleep so hopefully I can get my creative energies back. It's helping, a little, but I still feel like I've got a ways to go. One thing that has improved a bit is the advertising campaign for the House of Bellevue. I've increased my daily spending limits on Amazon ads over the last couple of weeks, and I'm seeing an increase in sales of ebooks and audiobooks and in Kindle Unlimited page reads. I'm also seeing an increase in sales of the books that are not directly linked to ad clicks, which means that the algorithm is starting to show the books organically to people who are interested in buying them. This is huge, because in order for these books to be successful, they have to generate more income and sales than I'm spending to promote them. I'm still waiting for final sales numbers from the month of March, but my best estimate is that the books generated eight or nine hundred dollars in royalties for about five hundred dollars in advertising. That's not great, but it's enough for me to continue the experiment and see if these books can become self-sustaining. I'll pass on more data as I get it. For now, if you've read these books and enjoyed them, please rate and review on Amazon, Goodreads, or Audible. It makes a huge difference in convincing people to give them a try. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback@gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code six four one seven one five three nine zero zero, then enter extension two five five zero eight two, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com/authorchrislester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvet Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license. Please visit creativecommons.org.